Welcome back to another episode of Peace Off, the Ski Racers podcast, brought to you by Fantasy Ski Racer and Technica and Blizzard. For this episode, we're going to dive into a couple of interesting, slightly heady topics regarding how other sports affect us, and furthermore, dive into a little bit about relationships between uh, ski clubs and their mountains and explore different avenues and ideas and uh, dynamics that occur in that regard. And for this episode, uh, this conversation started off with a friend of mine uh, who was in town training recently, Seth McAdam, whose resume is pretty darn strong, a uh, number of years with the women's development team, Sugar Bowl, Jackson Hole, etc. And Seth has got some pretty interesting insight now as the director of Mount Hood Academy. All right, we got Seth McAdam on today's episode. Uh, I have to believe that a lot of you out there would know Seth from along your roads of journeys. Um, But Seth was a longtime women's development team coach, has coached at Jackson for a while, Uh, uh, Sugar Bowl, is currently the director of Mount Hood Academy. Seth, what else in your resume am I forgetting right now? No, that's about it. Um, Yeah. Long time coaching, never done anything else, and uh, yeah, you kind of hit everything I've done. Really, when you think we think about coaching and not having ever done anything else. I mean, that's 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 kind of a dream, right? Like, what else would my life be if I wasn't a ski coach? And you could think of like, I feel like you think of like two dozen other things, but in the end, you never would do any of them. No, that's exactly right. I, at this point, I can't imagine doing anything else. Like, yeah, as much as we work as coaches, like. I go to work every day. I'm, I'm stoked and, and, you know, think about how we can make athletes, you know, better people, faster skiers, you know, it's, I, 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 I wouldn't do anything else. I don't think maybe a teacher would be the only other thing close. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. But you know, when you get a kid that you've been working with all season, come down on the podium you know, I got to feel like that's a little bit more rewarding than, uh, you know, all the kids can, you know, I think feel like being a teacher and this is just a mindset thing. It's not, I don't think it's like a, for better or worse thing, uh, but I feel like being a teacher is like, um, you know, every, every three weeks you host in-house races, you know what I mean? You know? And so, and you're trying to get your whole team to be within like two seconds of each other versus um, one kid or two kids just excelling past the rest. Yeah, uh, excelling past the presidential uh, fitness assessment might not have the same uh, same feeling as that kid that, you know, slayed his first arc or something. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, great. That, uh, that's our stock options as ski coaches, right? What the kids to slay a run? <laughs> we don't we don't get any uh, any bonuses for that, but that's the way it feels to me. So we've got two topics that we want to discuss today, but I feel like right now we're segueing very smoothly into the second one, which is this uh, idea that you brought to my attention of how you're challenged by a little bit of of your. Um, by your community because they have so many other sports options and how that some of them who are namely soccer players 
will compromise ski training to go to these soccer events that are quote unquote called showcases. Right. And you know, you had some really great points in this when we discussed this not too long ago. But why don't we just start calling qualifiers showcases <laughs> or showcase qualifiers or something like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. I would say lacrosse is one of the the big showcase sports as well, right? Soccer and lacrosse here in Oregon, in the Portland area, that's what we're faced with. But yeah, I mean, it's funny that it has such a different uh, context to it when you, you know, kids aren't going to miss a showcase because they might be seen by you know, a college player or college scout or whatever, but really they're, they're just camps. Like most, you know, most USSA clubs or USSS clubs do, uh, throughout the year or our, you know, our whole, uh, yeah. Divisional qualifying series or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we, we definitely need to do a better job as a ski racing as a sport to kind of capture those kids, those families and, and, and I think those other sports are kind of crushing us in that department right now. Here's here's an interesting athletical, athletic philosophical point. Like you go, so these these showcases and stuff. You're right; they are camps because they're not. There's not a build up to it. There's not like um, even these like club tournament camps. You go to three practices and you go play. Now, right. unless you're spending, you know you know, X amount of hours outside of those practices in those showcases working on your um, craft, you're really just showing up and playing. Meanwhile, has there ever been uh, any kind of platform in ski racing where it's promote, where we promote just showing up and racing? No, everything is like a progression of training of, building yourself up to get to these moments. So it's really interesting to me, like when, you know, a kid has been training for five days in the last, you know, three weeks. So that's 15 days of focused training, let's say, um, hopefully it's focused. And then you're going to blow off a race weekend to go to a showcase where you, where did you practice for that? You know what I mean? It's just like, what are you working towards? You know, you're showing up to these showcases under 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 trained and expecting to perform at your best. I mean, maybe if you do that enough, you could figure out how to how to be a better ski racer on race day than training. But I mean, other than the athletic mindset of performance, I'm not really sure where it's kind of laughable when you think about that in that in that regard. That's right. That's right. And sometimes, that, you know, we we have athletes that. Um, leave on a a training weekend in the winter for a soccer or for a lacrosse showcase that they feel like they can't miss, Mm -hmm. right? They haven't kicked a ball in months or, you know, they haven't had any stick practice in months, but they show up to these things and they can't, you know, can't afford to miss them. That's the, at least that's the way they feel and make the parents feel. Um, And meanwhile, we lose, you know, Oh, in some cases a week or definitely a weekend of training and you know it's a lot easier to train soccer and lacrosse than it is ski racing as we well know well i think that's 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 my devil's advocate advocating point 
in what you just said right there, it's a lot easier to train for those because they're they're controlled environments, right? There's Correct. very little variables that are coming in and that are getting involved that are going to affect the performance of your your foot to ball interaction, or because um, like like this time of year you're going probably going down to like Arizona, Southern California, someplace warmer, so and probably with lower altitude. So you're not, it's not like temperature against the ball. It's not like, and, 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 or the velocity of the ball's getting really too much affected. Um, you know, lacrosse, as long as your stick's feeling good, you're there, you know, and soccer, it's your, your foot against the ball. So after that, I mean, you're really just talking about, I guess, some cardio differences, but I don't know. Hopefully you got your ski legs under your belt, I guess. I mean, so, so yeah. in, in a way, I guess you can afford to show up unannounced well and that yeah you might be right there because in in both sports soccer and lacrosse that we seem to be competing with in the Portland area um the athletes that i've talked to the parents that i've talked to they do comment how their athlete right shows up to these showcases and they're some of the fittest quickest athletes on the field they, they talk about their fitness level compared to many of the other you know athletes at these showcases so there's you know i don't know if that's what that speaks to in uh, alpine skiing and, and our you know on hill training and strength and conditioning blocks but um yeah, i don't know where i'm going with that but it's just it's kind of an interesting thought every time they come back and they say, oh, yeah, they were really fit. They look like you know, beasts out there on the field. Like, well, you, huh. can, you kind of hope that they're, as a parent who's, you know, the primary sponsor of their athlete or child, you know, is sitting there and comparing and assessing and thinking about the, the differences. Hopefully not to the point where they realize that, you know, you're, <laughs> maybe you're better off playing lacrosse and soccer in some regards. But, you know... <laughs> That hey wait a minute there's some val that I'm starting to see more value from the skiing just based on my kids' uh, ability to perform here. Right. Yeah. I mean I do think it's re- it's vastly important to play multiple sports. I think you know uh, there is no such thing as being too athletic and but we've yeah, we've so. but just the way we when we've talked about it on on numerous occasions just the the way sports have shifted there's no such thing as like seasonal sports anymore right everybody's specialized everybody's going down one road so if you can get a kid to play two sports never mind three or four when we were growing up you know it's like wow that's it's a pretty big time balance too it's it's massive and it's um I find it's increasingly difficult to, um, yeah, to balance those, right? Like being an individual sport as we are, um, and asking for time commitment, you know, in season or summer camps or whatever, um, is a, it's a tough sell when the coach from the lacrosse or soccer team is saying, well, you know, if you don't come to our, our practices, you're not going to play. Right. right. We don't have that luxury. So it, it, it does present challenges of saying, like, for us, like, it's super important that you're here in these blocks, right? 
um, I'm all for that other sport. I believe in the long-term, you know, development of the athlete and having that wide, that uh, wide variety of skills. But when we start losing training time on snow, well, because they're not going to get playing time when they switch over, it, it gets to be a little bit frustrating. Because I feel like you know we lose out a little bit um, in, in that time on snow. Well, and, and of course, this is a fr- the only reason we have any frustration over this. It's not a, about participation. It's about, you know, you know we, we understand the time and the value and how mileage stacks up and how that, how that improves you as, as a ski racer. Um, but the, I think the, the argument for us, you talk about, you know, a lacrosse coach saying, hey, you know, you're not going to play if you're not at practices. Well, guess what? You're going to keep starting in the back if you're not here for this block. You, you like point. you like starting bib eighty eight. You think you want to you want to try to make that flip? Guess what? You could probably be making the flip by March, but instead, you've skipped two weeks during critical training blocks, and then yeah. had to fight your way through the back. You, you know, you never really established the good feelings that you that you you were close to getting because yeah, you. That's you a great point. Um, but the, that, by the, way. the other thing too with these these showcases things. Where like oh these these coaches and these scouts and and, and I get it because you know I, I grew up play, uh, being a lacrosse player and you know these these events definitely have a lot of connected um, coaches and players you know doing these little doodads and and all, really what they are are just side gigs for them so they can keep making money at working at and working at what they want to do which is fine but I mean you are a U.S. ski team coach like. I I feel like I've got a pretty strong relationship with a lot of the people working in that realm right now. You know, it's so. How are we not scouts and showcases or uh, and 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 on that radar, that same perceived radar every single day? You know, right. And I think the and you think about like um, how our pipelines work. Well, you know, here's a little hidden secret. Like if you if like for instance, you're a Western Region kid. Um, let's say around U14, U16, you start getting invited to Western Region events. Those, those, you know, if you really want to pinpoint showcases like to a level that is irrefutable, those are them. Because a lot of times those Western Region events, like for instance, um, if you're a fist kid and you've got that chili can, you, well, I'm not really sure what it looks like right, like this day, but or right now, but. If you were invited to that September chili camp, you'd be stupid not to go because, yeah, maybe you're training a lot of speed. But guess what? You're going to be with the men's D team the whole time. And guess who's who's also there? The men's D team staff who don't who are sitting there going, well, who's the next junior racers coming up the ranks? So that like that's that's one of your best exposures you're going to get, period, you know, directly. conversation with Randy Pelkey right there in some value with you guys now long time coach and ski team coach and and he's he's he said he's always thought that you know the ski team should have more like scouts you know out there you know, looking at the club athletes and um, but yeah I think that's you bring up a great point um, and you know are we casting a broad enough net with those projects too, if we have scouts, like I think that 
if you compare it to a um, uh, you know a soccer or lacrosse player, um, you know they're they're going to these showcases, but yet they're there with in some cases hundreds of kids. Right. Right. And, and right. Still, there's a perception that they're still being seen. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we're. I mean, yeah, we have a much smaller population in our sport, but you know, I don't. I worry that in some of those project situations that, you know, we might not be casting that broad net and that well, we're starting to deselect before we're, you know, identifying a kid with maybe not the results but the skill. Well, uh, hold, hold on. I've got a, a bunch of thoughts on what you just said right there. First of all, I think that if you let's take this chili camp as a, this the September chili camp as the only example for this. And you're, you're talking – about a showcase with hundreds of kids. Unless you are the absolute standout, the by far the best player on your team, forget it. You're just a number. But if you're at one of the, this, this 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 chili camp in September, you're one of t- maybe 15 to 25 kids, and you have two weeks of interaction. Yeah, eventually the, the, the they're going to get around the horn a couple of times, sure. and you're, you're going to actually be able to like establish a relationship. With a yeah. guy like Randy Pelkey, where he can all of a sudden he's like, I like that kid. He works pretty hard. I got to see him work pretty hard for two weeks. And then all of a sudden they're paying a little more attention to the results and looking at your name when it shows up. And the second thing, I think with the scouts, this idea of scouts, I think that's the regional coaches. Aren't, shouldn't the regional coaches be the ones who are, aren't, isn't that part of their role to like be looking at what's going, what, like what's going on in their, in their region so that they can, then go in spring and whenever and say, Hey, uh, you know, this is, this is who I think this is whatever and blah, blah, blah. Cause I've even, I've had that conversation with like Sachs when he was a Western region coach, he'd be like, what do you think about this kid? Is it, are you, are you sure? Am I wrong to think this or is it, are you, or is this spot on? And therefore, uh, you know, and you're there to affirm it. And so that, that's, you know, uh, another piece of the puzzle. And then second of all, or third of all, the last point I want to bring up from what you said was, you know, to get into those camps it takes performance over the season. So it's not, you don't get invited by accident to those things. Like, whereas a showcase, you know, sign up and go play. So yeah. you need to actually be at that training block in December, January, making it through that third week really honing in on what you're doing, performing at that race so that you can then get on the radar to qualify to be invited to these things. Right. Right? So you, you start right. working backwards in the layers, and again, we're back to where we started. <laughs> yeah. Great point. Yeah. Okay. I think we kind of wrapped that one up. Let's move on to the second the second one. And uh, this one is the actual reason why I, we, we decided we wanted to do this episode. But – this idea, and it's just this low-hanging low fruit of a topic, club-owned venues, or, yeah, let's say, let's leave it at that, club-owned venues. Is this, is this the future of participation and, cu- and cutting cost? Is this the future of developing our best athletes? Um, I don't know, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, things here that we that can be explored but i'm gonna i'm gonna start by leaving it to you to initiate this one yeah i you know 
kind of look at um, look at the the way the uh, kind of the conglomerate uh, ski company is starting to go right. You, you, you're huge companies that own multiple resorts, um, and then you look at your smaller hills, and then you kind of and that's kind of in the American North American model. Then you kind of look at what's going has always gone on in Europe. Sure, you have your big St. Moritz's and, and places like that, but a lot of those kids come out of Europe are coming from smaller, you know, home hills, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, sure, much different model in terms of uh, business model in terms of ski areas there, but um, it, it just it always crossed you know the thought crossed my mind of like, well. You know, how can we, or are we exploiting our small hills enough, our home hills, right? Um, and it becomes a challenge on several levels, I think, especially from the ski areas, from a financial standpoint of like um, seeing our value as programs that operate out of these small, either club-owned or real small venues, or, uh, sorry, ski areas, Um Whereas, like, the the larger, you know, conglomerate ski companies, they, they might not see our value, but the small areas do. And it's much easier to track as well. And I think that they're, in my experience, I feel like they're more accommodating to our needs um, because we're impactful on their bottom line. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's an entire population. I mean, once you get one kid in the program, you've got siblings, you've got parents, you've got aunts, uncles, grandparents coming to the races. There's there's a whole you get one kid, one sign up and there's a spider web of, you know, two to let's say two to six people that can also be generating money for you. Um, One thing that I thought was really clever, and I don't know if they still do this, but back in the day. Sunday River at every kiosk had our uh, uh, register had a button that said ski racer. So if you came up and you were clearly there for an event or a ski racer, they'd hit that. So in the accounting, the final accounting, they saw what money was directly brought into the area. Never mind, you know, tuitions, passes, uh, training space, whatever, the, whatever other kind of incomes come from that. But like, you know. Uh, how much mo- how much money did mom and dad spend that day? How much money did, you know, grandma and grandpa spend that day, you know? And you could see the direct impact of it. Um, you know, it helps to drive up real estate in um, in those areas, too, because people want to have more accessibility, you know? Um, sure. But, yeah. but I want... Sure some, some ski area or clubs even that, you know, might have done some of the, run some of the numbers on that. I, I think that would be... Jeez, if anybody out there has done that, I'd love to see some of that data, right? Like, yeah, sure. It's, it's powerful going to you know our, our home home hills and you know showing what we do, what we bring to the, the skiing overall skiing community. Well, and it also I think it also takes a vast uh, amount of of knowledge and is a reflection of your capability as well. Um, if you're able to not just coach, but hone in on a venue and a surface and run, run that as well, that's a pretty big reflection on what your club's capable of as well. You know, but I just, to bring it back to the conglomerate, I'm just want to bring up some specifics. I mean, you look at 
Hallison Hill and Steamboat. You look at Proctor Academy's Blackwater. Um, and versus a place like Park City right now. Where and the the thing about like that really blows my mind about Park City is that this the company that owns them is Vale, and we yeah. all are extremely aware of what Ski Club Vale's got going on. Now I know they've got a lot more um, irons in the kitty for that to to do what they're doing there, but how come they're not granting that opportunity? Like Ski Club Vale's one program, right? And I know there's a lot of some others, maybe some smaller entities, but it's not Park City where you have you know, seven, eight other programs who also want to be a part of that hit, uh, that training regime. I mean, I'm looking at that going, geez, power and numbers. I mean, exploit that. Here's another opportunity for you to cash in and, and, and also help these guys out. But yet that's not the case. And, and it is a massive struggle down in that area right now uh, to, yeah. to fight for, for valuable training time. You know, yeah. and that's a great reason enough. That's a, and this is why now this big conversation of trying to build a GS venue at the Utah Olympic Park is such a, a big deal. Because the Utah Olympic Park, that's a, I believe that is a nonprofit in itself, right? I mean, that's uh, my understanding as well. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you're trying to get out from underneath this bubble where you're in the driver's seat of your day to day training, but. Let me ask you this. Do you see... Can I, can I add that to your point? Please do. You yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, Ski Club Vale was you know, very instrumental in getting you know, that gold peak, you know, all the infrastructure for the snowmaking, and you know, the, the, the company, my understanding is that they didn't have to you know, front a lot of that money, but the ski area is operating, obviously, the lift and the, the snowmaking, but Ski Club Vale was... The catalyst behind getting that the funding to get that venue up and running. So you're just saying they're just well. I mean, is it is it safe to say that 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 this is occurring over there because they have a large number of wealth that they're able to draw on? Well, I think they just you know Aldo did some you know big capital uh, capital campaigns to get that you know get that snowmaking up there and then we're basically rode into a contract apparently or something like that of we'll have this for early season training and and that so maybe those other ski areas need to approach um you know approach it with the same uh, kind of uh, strategy right well yeah there's no doubt that there's um some pretty clever leadership there with a guy like that and and that's something that maybe some of the bigger dogs around the country need to kind of start emulating or thinking about if that's the direction they want to take it. I mean, granted, not everybody wants to take their program from zero to hero. Some programs are actually better served as just staying the way they are. But nonetheless, some of those programs, though, that I speak of, you know, these little clubs in little places actually probably have more of an opportunity than some of these bigger places. Agreed, yeah. You know? And that's kind of, that's, you know, initially... Uh, sparked our conversation a while back about this, and um, I think you, it's a it's a much easier sell to the, the ski area to the community. Like, hey, and donors, you know, donors, right? We can we can build this up for our community, right? Um, with you know relatively low cost, right? And we can have a greater effect on our you know, our skiing community, but our racing community, and and 
directly all the programs that are involved in those smaller ski areas. And I, it's funny too because I think what's what's selling us the most on this, uh, or at least me my, to, to myself on this idea, is that that these are tan- these are tangible. These are tangible, tangible. Yeah. and then and then don't and donors can look at that and say, hey. This is something that that can actually get made. That can be made. Uh, get made. It can really come together and, and happen, yeah. versus just donating to the annual fund or the you know annual operating costs. You know, trying to put your finger in the dam, and it's like, oh great, another check for twenty k or something like that every year. Versus, hey, you know, I'll, I'll give you a hundred, and that'll help you put in some snowmaking, right? You know, or buy a used cat from somebody. You know, so you can start manicuring your own hill. Exactly, and I, I think that's where the, the real advantages for ski programs are, is yeah, having the ability to manipulate the surface yourselves, right? That, to me, is like the, the next level. Um, I mean, I think there's some programs like that, like you brought up Steamboat and Howlson, and um, I mean, what about like Cochran's yep. East, right? Like, they, they seem to have... Uh, I've never been there, but I'd love to check that scene out for sure. I'm gonna so, bet you. I'm gonna bet you at any one time that they have the best surface of anywhere. Period. And I only know, and I know this because Jimmy Cochran is out there dorking out massively huge every day. I remember. I think it was two years ago. I talked to. Oh, it was maybe last winter. Bunch of the guys had a bunch of the teamer dudes had either were either on their way. From nationals, I believe that's that was the case. From nationals here, there, anyway, following up with them uh, right after their thank God for snowmaking race, and they said that was the best surface they'd skied all year. <laughs> and meanwhile, it was like we're talking like end of March, you know. Yeah. It's that, that's a funny that's a funny that's a funny thing the concept to think about. But let me let me ask you this: Do you think that? And I guess this would lead to maybe participation but in terms of like cost certainly is something that helps kids stay in the game when it's when it's advantageous on their side there's no doubt this is going to be expensive no matter how you look at it because it's just there's too many things that are going on for it to add i mean and, and, you know you got to chase snow so that's part of it as well but if you're operating under a non-profit let's say you know let's take sun valley's rotor run you know or, or or proctor academy's blackwater hill there you take those places, operate under a nonprofit. So, you know, are you able to cut your, your? I mean, we already get a discount pass to some of these areas, but you know, taking a ticket that was forty five, fifty bucks for the day, now does it become twenty? So they can just operate the lift, and does and and at the same time, all of your entry cost probably goes to back to the club versus head tax from the mountain. Um, are you able to even cut down? race entry fee for that matter. I think those are actually kind of established. I think those are streamlined, but nonetheless, I mean, is that, is that, are you helping the overall cost go down when you have a nonprofit run ski area? Right. Um, yeah. You're the director. I'm just a head coach. You're the director. You're the numbers guy. Yeah. I don't, I don't (laughs) operate in, in, uh, we still work with uh, Timberline and Ski Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not, um, we don't own our own ski area, but um, but we're definitely probably the biggest customers at definitely uh, Ski Bowl for sure in the winter. But um, I would say that, well, 
not so much on our younger end, but our, our older athletes, if we had, you know, we're dealing with Northwest conditions too, right? Right. Um, so we seek training elsewhere all over the West for that matter. Um, when conditions aren't going to be good at home, we hit the road and, and find something that's, you know, going to be manageable. So from on our older end, if we were able to have manipulate this, you know, our surface more, right? Have being self-sufficient, like you said, running our own guns or having our own uh, cats or whatnot, we could we could stay home for training more, right? The ski areas, right. even even though we're we're the biggest customers probably as a as a group, we still don't get you know everything we want, of course, um, and so I just see that the that um, if we had invested more into the infrastructure that what the ski area could provide, you know, we would keep that cost down. Ultimately, we'd have better surface and, and get more training days. You know, we're, we're a little unique in, in the climate that we're in, too. So yeah, not sure. everybody has the same experience. Yeah, but that makes sense just even for the home athletes, you, you know, being able to just stay in your own bed, even that like yeah. helps helps quite a bit, you know. Yeah. Um you know, I think of and certainly the the expense of being a western region athlete versus an eastern region athlete is pretty monumental. Like yeah. for instance, you know, uh growing up USSA racing was a little bit bigger of a deal and provided a little bit more opportunity because USCSA also was still operating under the USSA umbrella. Um, you know, you could get 40 starts a year and sleep in your own bed, every single one of them, Right. you know, versus uh-huh. we got to travel for a week. You know, I'm putting together this trip right now to go to Big Sky and it's over spring break. Everything's non-refundable. I'm rolling the dice right now. Yeah. You know, like my budget is like, you know, on on the rocks right now until, and I'm not going to know until, you know, yeah. in two weeks from now. Yeah. Well, it's like the East, what do you, you get three hours drive, maybe four in some cases. Yeah. And we, we drive seven hours some in, in division, not just the Western region. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, Seth, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time to uh, warm up your van over there in uh, Big Cottonwood Canyon, where you are right now, to uh, uh, be a part of the episode. And um, uh, yeah, I also nice appreciate doing this on fa- actual FaceTime, too. Seeing your face really, really ch- changes the interaction of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much. Um, I, I love, always love talking with you. And, you know, I love what you're doing. I think we need to get more uh, dialogue amongst the ski racing community. Um, just, you know, we're trying to drive that growth mindset with our athletes, but sometimes as, you know, administrators and coaches, we might not uh, uh, live that way when it comes to our coaching. And, and just op- get, getting open, people talking, I think is an amazing thing. And you're just the guy to do it. So <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for having me on. Seth, I appreciate that. That's the best compliment I've gotten recorded on this uh, on this podcast this uh, this season. So thank you for that. Right on. We'll talk to you later. Okay, cool man. Thanks.
You have been listening to Peace Off, the Ski Racers podcast, brought to you by Fantasy Ski Racer, Technica, and Blizzard. Seth McAdam, always a interesting fellow to carry on dialogue and perspective with. Uh, as you can tell, definitely a coach that is thinking about the world around him and how it affects what he's trying to do. And we appreciate him taking the time to uh, spread that thoughtfulness among us. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to you listening to our next episode featuring uh, renowned bootfitter Matt Schiller.